Georgia's DBHDD is warning all Georgians that half of all opioid deaths happen at home when people take an oxy or a perk with a glass of alcohol for stress or to sleep. Learn more about protecting families from opioid overdoses at opioidresponse.info. Glad to have all of you with us here for Political Rewind. Uh, Monday, if you're listening in real time, hope you all had a great weekend. I got a chance to go to the final Atlanta United match of the regular season yesterday. They beat the New England uh, 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 team. Uh, Not a very good team, and we get to play them in the first match of the playoffs, which is great. Yeah, 3-1. to one. Buddy Darden, who was here, uh, were you there? No, I was not. I watched some of the highlights, and I understand they're going to have to play them again. Yes, right they away. will. First round of the playoffs, uh, which is good for us, I think. That is Buddy Darden, former Democratic member of the U.S. House uh, from the uh, uh, up in the 7th District of Georgia, which was in those days uh, all the way just north of Atlanta, northwest, all the way up to the Tennessee border. That's correct. From the Chattahoochee River to the Chattanooga city limits. Yeah, yeah. Glad you're here today, buddy. Delighted to be back. Jim Galloway is in the studio, of course. It's Monday. He's with us on Mondays and Fridays. He's the lead political writer of the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. And uh, you read him on Wednesdays and Sundays in the newspaper, and he oversees the Political Insider blog. How was your weekend? Well, uh, the Braves surprised us yesterday. Yeah, we got home just in time to and, turn on and, the TV and, 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 watch. and, and the dogs did uh, did okay on Saturday. Yeah. So I'm 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 in a good move. Good. I'm glad to hear that. <laughs> um, so that's uh, the team in the studio today. Uh, we also have joining us remotely from her station up in Gainesville, WDUN. Uh, um, one of our, our our favorite media and political guests, I think you can say, Martha Zoller, who um, has worked, Martha, you've worked both sides of the political media equation. You served in uh, on David Perdue's staff. Uh, you ran. You're a former candidate. When did you run, Martha? Uh, 2012. Tw- was it 2012? Okay. Yes, it was open seat for the 9th District. Okay, thank you. I couldn't remember the exact year of that. And, of course, you're back to a job that you held for a very long time uh, doing your talk show at WDUN. Uh, Thanks for being with us from up there today, Martha. It is great to be here, Bill. We're going to talk to you a little bit later in the show. You've thrown your uh, hat in the ring, as it were, thrown your application in the pile for the uh, Johnny Isaacson seat in the Senate. We'll talk a little bit about your decision to do that later in the show. And joining us from the NPR studios in Washington, Kyle Hayes, who's the founder and host of Peach Pod, uh, a podcast that treats uh, subjects, all subjects about Georgia politics. Kyle We always want to point out, you are a Georgian, you're working up in Washington these days, but you have not lost touch with politics here in Georgia, right? Well, and I'm glad we're here to talk politics this week, because Atlanta playoff sports just gets me way too nervous. (laughs) (laughs) Amen to that. (laughs) Kyle, what's your most recent podcast? Uh, Last week, we looked at the Senate, the Democrats that are running for the U.S. Senate and compared their positions on climate change. And we updated the latest on the impeachment news. Okay, so that's up right now. If people want to uh, look at Peach Pod and subscribe to it, you can do that now. All right. um, Jim Galloway, let's start with, I I think, an an event that we want to spend some time talking about on Friday, even while we were on the air. You were up at the AJC offices in Dunwoody uh, to meet with Nancy Pelosi. Speaker Pelosi came into Atlanta for a fundraiser for John Lewis and then came right up to meet at your offices. Uh, Our Robert Jimison was there reporting on the event as well. So this was, a, and you just said that you had a good hour plus to talk to her. Right, right. And and the, here's the thing, the thing that I found most interesting is, is you know, when whenever some, uh, we, we've got somebody uh, coming in front of the board and, and you kind of want to map out just a, a an overall strategy, kind of like we do here on the program. We're going to talk about this, this, and that. You know, we didn't want to, there, there was a, there was a notice that, that, that went out that said, we really don't want to have impeachment dominate the whole thing. And and because we we thought she'd want to talk about something else. Yeah. She did not. She did not want to talk about hardly anything else except to to justify 
what the, what what Democrats in the U.S. House are doing. Well, this I, is a campaign. This is this is that's what this is. It it struck me that as important as the AJC is as as a, a newspaper in the in the southeast, and you are a very important voice of of this region. That if this were normal circumstances, the Speaker of the House may not have chosen to do an editorial board meeting. It, it struck me that, yes, of course, she's out there talking about impeachment. Right. No, no. At the most, what we normally would have gotten out of a U.S. House speaker uh, visiting us, I mean, and, and remember, we used to have one living in our in our midst, yeah. <laughs> uh, is is that, you know, you, you, you know, maybe your Greg Bluestein or your Jim Galloway would would get a 30 minute sit down or a 15 minute sit down and and then uh, then she would be on her way. But uh, no, she she drilled down very much on on the justification, the moral justification, the constitutional justification for what what Democrats in the House are doing. All right. As I said a minute ago, uh, our Robert Jimison from GPB uh, Radio News was there as well. Uh, the AJC was very kind in allowing us to be part of that session. And uh, he we're going to listen to a little of the sound that Robert collected from up there. Let's listen to one of the things that Pelosi said about impeachment and then throw it open for everybody to talk about. It's not about politics. It's not about partisanship. It's about patriotism. And when people say, oh, you're if the good, if the facts are there, then uh, we have to proceed with the inquiry and see where that takes us. So these people are strong. Lucy McBath is strong. And we will, needless to say, um, I have no intention of losing any of my members. So kind of two things at once there, Jim, talking about why she wanted to uh, go ahead, finally made the decision they had to go ahead and they were going to go and look at this, that she says, from a factual perspective, but then overlapping with that, how it might affect and, people and, like and, Lucy and, McBath. And so, so really, I mean, this is one thing. They're not two things. They're, they're, they're yeah. connected. Okay. Um, let me, uh, uh, Martha, let me go to you first on this. Uh, the president this weekend has been uh, tweeting, of course, criticism of Pelosi, continues to criticize Adam Schiff, who's the uh, chair of the Intelligence Committee, who's now the face of the impeachment inquiry in the, in the House. Um, and he's now calling for Pelosi and Schiff to be impeached. Uh, you don't impeach members of Congress, do you, Martha? Well, not usually. Usually they get voted out of office. Um, but, I, you know, I think the challenge is it's not believable when she says it's not about politics and it's not about party. And then in the next breath, she says, and Lucy McBath is really strong, because I think Lucy McBath has been a little reticent in her comments related to this. I mean, I haven't seen strong comments coming from her. So that's one thing. But the, but the second thing is, you know, it's it. The president is going to do what he's going to do to defend himself, and people are going to have to decide if they like that or not. That's usually what we have elections for, right? Um, but this inquiry, if you can call it that, I mean, it. they haven't had a vote on the floor yet to open up an inquiry. I would like to see that happen. I'd like to see what the votes are. Um, and then I'd like to see in a little more open format uh, what they're doing. Hey, Martha, uh, wait. Before you move too far away from it, you said this inquiry, this inquiry, and then you said, if you can call it that. It, it is an inquiry, is it not? Well, it is an inquiry, but it's not in the official way where there's generally a vote that says we're going to open up an impeachment inquiry. They're calling it that, but they've got it in a different place in the in intelligence community. I mean, the intelligence committee. Um, and, you know, I think some of the points that Doug Collins, the, the ranking member in judiciary, made related to this were legitimate. The letter that McCarthy sent out saying, hey, we would love to be a part of this if this is what you're going to do. Um, I do think that there's a concern there if she's got the votes. What I understand is she has the votes to open an inquiry, but she hasn't taken that to the floor yet. Um, but she doesn't have the votes yet for impeachment, which I would hope she wouldn't yet because the evidence hasn't been shown but, yet. But, buddy, it, it is probably, it is not, I don't think, far-fetched speculation to imagine that Pelosi did not want to have a vote on the floor about whether to launch the inquiry because she is at this stage trying to protect as many members who might be vulnerable as possible. I don't think that's too far-fetched a conclusion to draw, is it? 
Well, fortunately, during my six terms of Congress, I was never faced with this situation, but it would have been extremely difficult for me, for example, because President Reagan, who was very popular in my district at the time I was uh, serving, and then President H. George H.W. Bush, and then President Clinton, uh, this is the kind of situation that every member of the House hopes never happens during his or her term. But regrettably, the president has continued to push the Congress further and further to the point that I think they've got very little choice except to move forward in some way here, whether it's by a vote to launch an investigation or eventually if there's going to be articles of impeachment to come to the floor. But this president seems hell-bent on pushing the Congress into this situation. I think the Speaker has very little choice under the circumstances. Well, that may very well be. Kyle, I, w- I want to go to the question, though, that I asked, buddy, which is whether or not Pelosi isn't avoiding that initial vote uh, in which she asks her members to vote for this impeachment inquiry because she's, at this stage, trying to give them some c- protection um, and by the way, to the best, it's been repeated over and over, the Constitution doesn't have any kind of strict procedure that right. you need this vote. Uh, but right. nevertheless, it's been uh, traditional in the, the few impeachments we've had that it's been held, Kyle. Right. And I think Democrats believe that they don't have to take the vote. It's interesting, though, given that so many of their members, I I believe over a majority of the Democratic caucus is on record supporting an impeachment inquiry. And you would imagine that they would be fine taking that vote on the floor. There are a few that aren't that haven't been as definitive on the record. But I think Georgia's own Lucy McBath is really interesting in this circumstance because she has seemed reluctant to talk to press about this and seems to maybe not want to give a soundbite on impeachment that could be used. But then she sent an email out to her supporters saying that she voted to advance an impeachment inquiry in the Judiciary Committee and that she has taken a position. Um, She just wasn't willing to be as out front on that position with the press. Uh, yeah, actually, Bill, when uh, when when Pelosi was in our offices, yeah. she said she, she said she has no problem with a vote because she knows where her members are, and and they're all they're all behind this inquiry. One reason that I, I think, and and Buddy, maybe you can help me uh, uh, t- tell me if if I've got it right, is one reason that Republicans have been pushing for that vote is because it gives them a certain status during this inquiry uh, that they will they would have ac- uh, equal access to all witnesses. Uh, evidence, uh, uh, that sort of thing. That is correct. That would be a formal undertaking at which time they would have the right under House rules to participate fully in uh, all decisions, even though they might come to a different conclusion. But the reason I didn't ask Sir Bill's question a while ago is that you don't take a vote that you don't need to take. And so why go ahead at this point now, let it go on down the road, and let's see where we are. I think it's very interesting that um, this president seems, as I said before, to be hell-bent on pushing the Democrats into taking action, and they're going to take action, but I don't think they're going to take action until they think the time is right and that they have everybody comfortable in uh, taking a vote. I think a majority of the Democratic caucus is way out front here, but there are some members who would like to feel a little more reassurance that there's a proper procedure being followed. Um, Jim, let me allow you, if, if you would like to, to expand just a little bit more. We had that soundbite, but, but talk a little bit more about how Pelosi discussed coming to this decision that she had to allow the impeachment inquiry to move forward. Well, I think it, it, gets, it gets down to the, the, the fact that you've got a, a president who, on a phone call that everybody was listening to, apparently, uh, he he offered a what is a quid pro quo. It, was it stated? No, it was not stated. But you know, you've got you can see it in the subpoenas that they issued today they, they, uh, for for OMB and the Department of Defense because they want to know the exact timing of of the of of the decision to withhold this uh, three hundred ninety one million dollars that Congress approved in the Senate and in the House for uh, 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 Ukrainian military assist- assistance. They want those, they want the dates, they want the facts. And, and I, I think 
she spoke a good bit about the the murkiness of the Mueller report and and the uh, and the way that 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 Republicans were able to control the conversation from it. This one this one is not under their control as as as, we're, as we anybody who watched the Sunday news shows uh, could tell. This is uh, Republicans do not have con- control of the narrative. In, in, in this episode. Yeah, so Martha, uh, not having a formal vote, as has been pointed out, uh, it, 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 by not having that, the Republicans don't get a chance to share in the, the uh, unfolding of this uh, initiative right now. Democrats have control. But isn't that just the point, right? Yeah, Speaker that's Pelosi what I'm asking. Said, Speaker Pelosi said this isn't political. It's patriot. I mean, there's something she said in the middle, but it's not political. It's about patriotism. If it's about patriotism, why wouldn't you want complete, uh, you know, involvement by both sides so that no one would question your process? Because you know what's going to happen. If we go down this road, let's say we go down this road and we do end up with articles of impeachment and they have enough votes because all they need is, I think, 218 to get it out of there. You know it's going to pass in the, in the House. It's not going to pass in the Senate. In both ways, it's political. I mean, when we watched that removal uh, hearing or trial uh, for Bill Clinton 20 years ago, um, you know, you thought by what people said they might vote to remove him from office, but you knew that they were not going to vote for, to remove him from office because Democrats were in control. So don't tell me it's not political, it's patriotism, when really it's all political. Buddy? Well, unless you've drunk the Kool-Aid, as so many of the president's uh, supporters seem to have, you can understand, and the average person can understand what Jim Galloway just explained. Oh, is there a quid pro quo here? And it's something that, while the murkiness of the Mueller report was there, this is pretty easy and pretty uh, self-explaining. And it either happened or it didn't. And so we can either make a decision that the average guy can understand. Hey, did he do it? Or, or did he not do it? And I think it's pretty evident that the evidence tends to support the fact that perhaps he did. Well, one final point to Jim's point, which I think he made a good one. And I'm drinking Diet Coke, by the way. But that's what I'm <laughs> drinking right now. Um, but to Jim's point is that it wasn't stated directly. That's why the subpoenas show today. And you know what? There probably will be a timeline they'll be able to put together. And I don't drink anybody's Kool-Aid. But what I'm saying is... That I think if you want it to be accepted and not to be like Schumer said, that we have, as Senator Schumer said, that the bar is so low that we're going to be doing this to everybody, uh, I think it matters. It matters when you break process because you know as well as I do, buddy, that then they do it every time after that, once it happens. Once you cross certain bridges, it's hard to come back. Kyle, I thought in in, in the uh, all of the uh, comments, all the interviews, uh, on TV, reading in the newspaper, I thought one of the most specious things I heard expressed in the last few days was uh, our friend Newt Gingrich on Fox News talking about this impeachment as a coup d'etat. Oh. Hard not to go back, Kyle, to 1998 <laughs> and think about the coup d'etat that Newt Gingrich led against uh, President Clinton. Uh, yeah, I think it's a tough case for him to make, but um, I think this is what we are going to see. You know, there's the process side of this, but there's the political side of this in defining what this impeachment inquiry is about. And I think maybe that partially explains why Nancy Pelosi is in the AJC's editorial board doing meetings with them and probably doing meetings like these around the country is to try, try to define what this is. Because, you know, Doug Collins uh, responded to this inquiry and, and this was in the discussion after Pelosi's AJC board meeting. Um, described it as an abuse of power on the part of Pelosi. I've got his quote. I was just going to read that quote, Kyle. (laughs) He's told the, this is Doug Collins, the uh, ranking member in the House Judiciary Committee, uh, Georgia Congressman. Here's the quote. It just goes to show you have a Speaker of the House who has no consideration for fairness and due process. That's a blatant abuse of power and the people's trust in the process. Go ahead, Kyle. Finish what you wanted to say about that. So I think if the message is competing abuses of power, because that is essentially the core of what you of what Democrats are alleging against President Trump here, if it's about competing abuses of power, it's easier for this to sort of devolve into partisan warfare and something that it makes it easier for Republicans to defend in election season. Jim, did um, did the speaker address in any way 
Uh, you know, it's interesting. Martha just it, 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 it certainly expressed the opinion that m- most people have, which is, yes, the House can pass articles of impeachment. Yes, it can go to a trial in the Senate, and the Senate will never vote uh, to convict. Did the Speaker address in any way a sense that perhaps um, the, the Senate may not necessarily reject? I mean, in other words, as this thing moves— did she suggest in any way that maybe, in fact, there could be a political earthquake? Well, yeah. I mean, she, she she said we don't have all the evidence yet, and you know maybe some of that evidence might change a few minds. Uh, I, I, she wasn't. I, she didn't make any any, any sounds that indicated she was op, optimistic that twenty Republican senators were going. Yeah, to that's, a it. That's, that's, that's a big obstacle. That's a big obstacle. And Martha, just one 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 point on on the the, the requirement thing. The, the one thing that the House House has been dealing with for the last really 18 months is this uh, this uh, solid stonewalling of the uh, administration you know the administration has now held out uh, their their cooperation on on this inquiry uh, on on the uh, on the they want a formal vote before they hand over any any documents there was there is skepticism on Pelosi's part that that even if they were to hold this 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 vote that they're demanding, they still wouldn't get any documents. Martha, that's a good point. That's a good point. I think the White House should cooperate. I mean, when you have something as serious as this, you ought to cooperate. If you got nothing to hide, now they did release the transcript of the call and they've done some other things too. But you're right. Jim, as you always are, when you when it comes to the details of the subpoenas and the calling of the the witnesses, they haven't been cooperative or when they have allowed them to come, they haven't, you know, given all the information. Buddy, this is a classic balance of powers issue here. And I think the Congress is ever going to assert its true place in the Constitution of the United States. Then it has a duty to move forward and bring out all the facts and all the issues here. If it turns out that the evidence is not there, so be it. But at the same time, I think the Congress would be totally derelict in its duties if it just sat by and let the president do whatever he sees fit to do. Uh, Buddy, I want to give you, that's the last comment in the first segment of the show. I do want to move forward with Pelosi. And Jim, as we come back from a break, I want to talk to you about a little bit more in depth about what she said about how this might affect potentially vulnerable uh, members like a Lucy McBath. We'll do that after we take this break. Hey, this is David Green, host of Morning Edition. I'm here to talk with you about that poking feeling, the one that keeps reminding you to support public radio. You can support the programs you love by donating your used vehicle. That old car or truck could be worth hundreds of dollars to this station. All you have to do is call, and you might even receive a tax deduction. Go to gpb.org cars or call 877-GPB-1-CAR and thanks. A well-known chef went on unpaid leave after his sexual harassment came to light. Now he's trying to come back. I just think if you have someone who is sorry and wants to change, like that's not the person you cast aside. He caused a lot of trauma to a lot of people who will never be the same. So why does he get to carry on? Should there be a road back for men implicated in Me Too? This afternoon on All Things Considered from NPR News. 4 till 7 today on GPB and gpbnews.org. Kyle Hayes at NPR in Washington, Martha Zoller up at WDUN in Gainesville, Buddy Darden and Jim Galloway here in the studio for today's Political Rewind. Jim, um, continuing our conversation about your meeting on Friday with uh, Speaker Pelosi, uh, she had, she, you all did get a chance to talk to her about the complaints that some Georgia Democrats are raising that the National Party is not pouring enough resources, uh, money or, uh, um, you know, uh, feet on the ground into campaigns here in Georgia. So you asked her about that. She assured you that's still to come, yes? Yes, yes. And and, and she said the big driver on that, and, and she didn't get too terribly deeply into this because the, the big driver in this are the two Senate races that we have now have on, on next year's calendar. And that's, you know, that's Chuck Schumer's turf. Right. That's not Nancy Pelosi's turf. Right. Uh, she is more about, she was she is more interested about uh, the 6th District uh, preservation of, of Lucy McBath and taking the 7th District away from Republicans uh, with, with uh, uh, with with 
any any number of candidates that are that are running right now. She, you know, she 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 mentioned Carolyn Bordeaux, but then stopped herself because she knew she couldn't mention everybody. Right, uh, and she didn't want to she didn't want to pick a horse in that race. What's interesting was you know you know we uh, eventually we asked you know whether 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 she was uh, she was ready to become the kind of the the, the bogey woman in chief of uh, uh, in the twenty twenty election, and you know what 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 was interesting is is she's I think she's decided that she's she's become bulletproof. Uh, I, well, she she mentioned she pointed to the midterm election, twenty eighteen, and one hundred and thirty seven thousand ads <laughs> yeah. that were run with her face, yeah. and they still picked up enough seats to take over to take over the house, uh, and and you can uh, I mean. Uh, no, she she didn't hold a she wasn't she was there to hold a fundraiser uh, for John Lewis and not Lucy McBath, but she's then she was on her way to, to to South Carolina. She's she Iowa is now on her on her calendar. Both are this is this is an itinerary that she just would not see a a House speaker who's on the defensive. Make. So so um, in in regard to Lucy McBath and and this issue of. How the speaker became such a big uh, shibboleth uh, as Republicans campaigned uh, against Democrats in 2018, um, she recognizes in some she may be bulletproof in some places, but she's not so sure about a Lucy Macbeth. Let's listen to a little bit of what she said about that in this editorial board meeting. In the election in 2018, the Republicans had 137,000 ads describing me as a San Francisco liberal, which I proudly am. It didn't work for them. We won 40 seats and took the majority. I say to my colleague, to my candidates, just win, baby. Kyle, I love especially that, which I probably am. I thought that was no, no, no. She said, I, "I think she said, which I proudly am." Oh, I proud. Oh, well, okay. I'm sorry. I thought she said it a different way. So. Uh, uh, Kyle, uh, she's making it clear that Lucy McBeth should run the campaign the way she can win and uh, that she doesn't have to worry Nancy Pelosi is going to hover. But Nancy Pelosi is going to be the issue anyway. You know, the ad is clear. The first vote she will cast if she's reelected is for Nancy Pelosi as Speaker of the House. Right, Kyle? Right. And I think that uh, Pelosi probably feels somewhat insulated against these attacks because this election is more likely to be or at least equally to be about Donald Trump and his unpopularity in a lot of these swing districts. I mean, that really the you know, the reaction to the Trump presidency is really what drove Democratic gains in the House last time around. And I think she feels comfortable that they can defend those games if this gains of this election is about him. I think that's a starkly different story than what you saw from Georgia Democrats and other moderate Democrats in the bad recent bad elections for Democrats in 2010 and 2014 when Barack Obama was the center of Republican criticism and and Democrats did not want to be attached to Obama's administration at all, um, I think that they they feel free now to uh, to you know use Pelosi, however, is most beneficial in their yeah, campaign. Yeah, yeah. But Bill, I don't think that the voters in general really pay too much attention to the speaker and who the speaker is, and I don't think it has much traction. First time I ran. I was accused the first vote he's going to cast is for Tip O'Neill. I said, yes, I am. I'm going to vote for the nominee of my party. And it went on to Jim Wright and Tom Foley. And, and this is a big deal for the other side. But I guarantee you nobody's going to make up their mind about who they're going to vote for based on your vote for speaker. Wait, you if, don't think that no, Republicans have demonized Nancy they Pelosi? They have demonized the her, but the only persons who are going to vote against Lucy McBath... We're going to vote against her anyway. Exactly. Gotcha. They're going to vote against them gotcha. anyway. Gotcha. And so I think it's almost a fictional thing in their minds. You know, Martha, I think it's funny what uh, Buddy just said, because I moved here from Chicago, I've said this many times, in 1983. And I remember the first election down here, I one of the ads that was running against probably you, buddy, was the first vote he'll cast is against Tip O'Neill, the Speaker of the House. Well, I was from the Democratic Midwest, and my answer, I thought, well, yeah, of course he will. What's wrong with that? And I, I said, of course I, I will, and that was the end of it. Never heard any more from Mar- Martha? Well, I think it's, it's, look, I think that Buddy was also right in saying most people really aren't paying attention. I mean, the people that are paying attention to candidates right now are people that are active all the time. I mean, you know, I was out in Colorado 
a couple of weeks ago visiting family, and these are these are your typical folks that live in Colorado. They're doing well. Colorado's booming, but they were weren't talking at all about presidential politics or about you know their their local races. I mean their congressional politics. They were talking about local races. There's a whole lot of city races going on in this election cycle. Uh, so I think that while we care about this and it's important. Uh, we got to realize that there's a lot of people that aren't paying attention yet. They're going to wait until the field is narrowed down a little bit on the Democratic side. And then as far as Congress goes, in a lot of these seats, you know as well as I do, that first re-election is the most difficult. After you get through that, it's a little bit easier. Right, right. And that's actually, well, that's, that was one of Pelosi's points. And, you know, you know, Bill, one thing I, I she, the Speaker did uh, uh, emphasize the the House Democratic uh insistence on uh, some sort of uh, background check legislation. She said they were not going to, they were going to keep going and pushing and pushing and they were not going to be stopping on that. And then she had another warning pointing to the to to uh, today's first gathering of the, the U.S. Supreme Court on the first Monday of, of October of, about uh, a woman's right to 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 choose on on abortion. Uh, and and, you know, I, I asked her if Lucy McBath's success on those two issues, because she she did she did weigh on weigh in on both of them in 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 uh, late in the 2018 campaign were, were at all convincing. Uh, I mean, is, are are they what what has convinced her to to emphasize that? And she said she she again she's she she refused to get involved in an individual member's choice of of their campaign issues. She wasn't going to go there. All right. Um... Let me move this ahead just a little bit, Kyle. It, it's interesting to me that we know completely, we know very well by now, more than a week into this impeachment inquiry, that most Republicans are trying to keep their heads down. There are a few out there, like a Jim Jordan and a few others who are pushing hard to defend the president, Lindsey Graham, in terms of the impeachment. So, they're standing by him or choosing not to say anything right now about impeachment because they're afraid of uh, the potential repercussions if the president decides to go after them. Um, but but here's some – I'm fascinated by this, Kyle, and I'll start with you on this. So we learned this surprise announcement early this morning that the president is going to change American policy uh, toward the Kurds and toward how we support them as they continue to fight on our behalf against, as they have against ISIS. We now know the president has sided with the president of Turkey, Erdogan, and is really essentially telling the Kurds, we're not there to protect you anymore. Okay, I mean, it's much more complicated. But to make my point based on that, there's no shortage of Republicans. I haven't heard it from the Georgia delegation yet. I'll be interested in what Tamar Hallerman comes up with later today. But, Kyle, people like Lindsey, Lindsey Graham, people like Mitch McConnell, who are not going to speak out about impeachment or many of the other things that the president does, are taking a very strong stand on this, criticizing him uh, pretty uh, fiercely for uh, abandoning the Kurds. I, I'm not quite sure I understand what they think is safe territory and what's not. Yeah, I think in in some ways it's really interesting that President Trump really is walking on a tightrope with all of the issues that are sort of bubbling up in the news right now. Um, I'm sure that Republicans, even if they vociferously defend the president uh, in the media, aren't super excited about having to defend some of these actions. And then you have uh, this policy choice that President Trump is making with regards to Syria and, and the Kurds that goes flatly against something that somebody like Lindsey Graham believes. Um, you also, it was in the prep, we may talk about this later, but uh, Agriculture Secretary Sonny Perdue um, and what he's had to say about the future for small farmers. Yeah. Um, we're in a manufacturing recession uh, in recent quarters, a slowdown in economic growth in that sector. So a lot of these constituencies that are very attached to President Trump um, may be feeling backlash on other issues, and then you may have this weighing down of the impeachment inquiry. I mean, I wonder if that all contributes to any sort of breaking of the dam for the president in terms of his supporters. But how do you decide it's okay to criticize him on foreign policy, but not on many of the things that happen here domestically? I don't agree with Lindsey Graham about much, but yesterday I believe he said that the policy was disastrous. He said it was irrational and poorly 
walk through. So maybe that's a way they have of sending him a message to say, you know, you don't have a blank check. You can't do whatever you want to do. You do have to answer to somebody. And so I think there's a shot across the bow there because this is something that already has cost him his last Secretary of Defense. And to just ignore and make this statement without consulting with the Pentagon or anybody else and then expect everybody to fall in line like this, I think is demonstrating maybe a recklessness on behalf of the president. Jim and then Martha. Yeah, I, I think I think what we're seeing here is is the fact that if you take all of the arms of the federal government, the Department of Defense uh, is probably the the least subject to to Trump's immediate control, and you have a lot of people weighing in because there is still time to change his mind on this and change the direction of this policy. Um, Martha, the president tweeted, and I'm going to read it verbatim because it's just such a fun. Tweet. Tweet. As I have stated strongly before, this, of course, is a response to the criticism he's gotten from Republicans. As I've stated strongly before, and just to reiterate, if Turkey does anything that I, quote, in my great and unmatched wisdom consider to be off limits, I will totally destroy and obliterate the economy of Turkey. I've done it before. They must. Uh, and then he goes on. I, you know, I shouldn't. I know I read that as if it's something sort of funny, but it's not funny at all, Martha. Oh, well, I, I, one thing I'm going to probably surprise you on, I, I tend to think that on, on this, first of all, I'm not surprised he wants to get out of these wars that we've been involved in a long time because he said he was going to do. And if one thing we've learned about Trump, eventually, if he says he's going to do something, he's going to do it. But I do think that, that I am very serious about national security policy and how we handle that. And it's not the right way to do it through a tweet. There's just no way about that. No way, no way to say that any differently. Uh, there's got to be more coordination, and uh, it's a concern. I worked with Kurds when I traveled to Iraq in 2005 and 2007. They generally love America. They love, even with with all our history, they look at us as being their friend and someone that's going to help them. Uh, so I, I don't like the language that the president's used there. Uh, but I understand what he's doing um, related to what he said he would do in the past. Yeah, I I will totally destroy and obliterate the economy yeah. of Turkey, Jim. Um, just again, we hearing language from the president of the United States that is startling. It's startling. It doesn't cover it. I don't think. Uh, and it's and it, and it's 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 it's. I know you had Marco Rubio and a few of the other uh, Kevin McCarthy and a few other Republicans over the weekend saying that you know there's a there's a lot of, of what Trump says that's uh, just in, intended to pull the lay the pull your legs especially if you're uh, a member of the media Th- this wasn't it if you're the president of the United States your words matter and every word that you utter is scrutinized and is analyzed, and the further you get away from Washington, the more seriously it's taken. Someone said that a uh, a sneeze in Washington is a hurricane in Puerto Rico. The bottom line is what he says matters, and we I think we've about had enough of this nonsense. Well, I think this is to Buddy's point that he made on the other topic related to impeachment is that there is an uneven three-legged stool right now going on where the executive, you know, and I don't care if they're a Democrat or Republican, the executive is too strong. The Congress is not asserting all of its power. I don't think impeachment shows they're inserting their power. I think getting getting legislation done on both sides of the houses shows that they're exerting their power. But right now we have a too powerful executive and a, and a Congress that's not using the power that they have, and I would argue is is trying to use that power, but not in what you know, not what I think is the right way. All right, um, Martha Zeller, uh, thank you for that. We're going to get to our final break of the show. When we come back, we're going to talk, turn our attention to uh, some state. Uh, issues, the Senate uh, uh, races that are coming up, Jim Galloway. Oh, really? Two of them? Yeah, we'll talk about those races and more. This is Political Rewind. I have the solution. My name is Lauren Lynn, and I'm the Associate Director of Marketing for Georgia Farm Bureau. Georgia Farm Bureau is the voice of Georgia farmers, and we work earnestly to support the state's leading industry, agriculture. We underwrite with GPB. What I like about the programming is that it reaches a diverse audience, and it enables individuals or organizations the opportunity to share their messaging across the state. 
To find out more about becoming a corporate sponsor, email sponsorship at gpb.org. On the next Fresh Air, countertenor Anthony Ross Costanzo. He's about to star in the Metropolitan Opera's production of Philip Glass's opera, Eknaten. He sings in the range once sung by Castrati, men who kept their high voices by being castrated before puberty. Join us. This afternoon at 3 on GPB and gpbnews.org. Welcome back to Political Rewind. Jim Galloway, you've been the one who's uh, started to use the terms Senate race number one, Senate race number two, number one being the race to uh, by Democrats to win David Perdue's seat, race number two, the open seat, the Johnny Isaacson vacation. Special election. End of the year, a special election, which will be held on the same day as the presidential election next uh, November. Let, let's start with, let's talk just a little bit about the applicants who have been coming in most recently. Uh, Martha Zoller, uh, we have talked about the fact that you were very early on put in an application. And I, I wanted to say to our listeners that, you know, we're not, we don't have a lot of candidates on this show. When people declare, like for the Senate, we've invited them to come on for an, an interview because we think that's fair. And then I prefer to have people who can analyze and talk about races. This Senate uh, selection that, that Brian Kemp will go through is a little bit different right now because, as we talked about before the show, you're playing to one person in this. Um, so let me ask you, why have you decided that you want to be uh, uh, the choice from uh, for Governor Kemp for, for the uh, temporary appointment, then I assume to run in uh, 2000. Well, I think diversity is really important as far as, as the people that are talked to. I don't think it should just be a cavalcade of, um, you know, the good old boy network um, that you see in play. And believe me, it's live and well on both sides uh, in Democrat and Republican Party. Uh, but I, I believe that if you're going to have a different result, you need to send a different kind of person. I know that rings. That's what Senator Perdue said when he was elected. But I think that that's, that's why I decided, hey, this is going to be an open process. Let's, let's at least throw my hat in the ring, and maybe I'll get an opportunity to have a conversation about what I think the future ought to look like. Yeah, we should point out that we have a number of panelists on the show who have entered this competition, essentially. Are you, would you then run for the seat? In uh, 2022? Sure. If I was appointed, okay. I would. you got to win it in okay. 2020, though, too. <laughs> so. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, all the way through is what yeah. I guess I'm yeah. saying. Yeah, uh, absolutely. But, Buddy Darden, um, this is going to be a fascinating choice for Governor Kemp, isn't it? It really is. I'd like to make two quick points. First of all, I think the process that the governor is using is a big mistake. And here's why. Herman Talmadge once says, you make one appointment, you end up with... Uh, 99 enemies and one ingrate because the person who gets it thinks that he or she was entitled to it anyway and everybody else that didn't get it is mad, now, especially once you make them grovel and come out in public like he's done. But the second point I want to make is there's one person who stands clearly above anybody else that I think that the governor ought to appoint who nobody could criticize from either side of the aisle. He has not applied, but he is the most respected office holder in the state. No, nobody, I won't. And I, that I is, can't, I just won't. That is, <laughs> that is our good friend and agriculture commissioner, Gary Black. Gary Black could be a good offset to Purdue. And Wait. the last thing you need is another Purdue coming yeah. down right. through there. Gary Black is actually going to be on Political Rewind on Wednesday. We, we will be more than... I'm not going to be here, uh, but but uh, uh, Kevin uh, uh, Riley uh, is going to be a, a substitute hosting for me while I'm off that day. But can you we'll think be of sure. better than Gary uh, Black? Buddy, buddy it, please, let's not use this show to do a stump speech. <laughs> <laughs> Here's, here, to, to Martha's point here, yeah. to Martha's point here, uh, uh, we have uh, every state constitutional officer is a Republican and male. Uh, every every member of the Republican uh, House, U.S. House delegation is male. Uh, it, it, you know, if 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 you've got many many people thinking that maybe maybe it's time for Governor Kemp to 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 shake things up a little bit, uh, and this is why we were, were we were talking about Jan Jones as when when uh, the the House Speaker Pro Tem, the State House Speaker Pro yep. Tem, put put her in her name in. 
Kyle, the other thing that's sort of tricky about this is, um, you know, it's, it's been interesting just to hear Martha as one example of someone who's applied for this job, Kyle, uh, who's been pretty clear that she is not in the Trump camp 100 percent. She's pretty open to uh, uh, thinking about him in, in a broader way. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see as the impeachment process moves forward whether Governor Kemp has to consider how deeply entrenched in uh, the Trump camp his appointee will be. We've already got David Perdue, who's tied at the hip to President uh, Trump. But but now the governor has a chance to look at it a little more broadly, doesn't he? Yeah, but I don't know if by looking at it a little more broadly, you decide to maybe pick somebody else who would more create a more balanced Republican ticket, or if you need a second at Trump advocate, Trump defender joining Purdue on that Republican ticket. Um, we talked with uh, State Senator Renee Unterman, who's running for the 7th Congressional District, and we're releasing that interview on Thursday. And I was really struck by how all of her answers were really focused in on the positive things about President Trump, defending President Trump against this impeachment inquiry. And I wonder if the strategic decision being made by Republicans is to go all in on a defense of Trump. Does somebody like Doug Collins, who's been defending Trump on judiciary, or somebody like Jack Kingston, who has been defending Trump on cable TV, um, do they get a leg up because they can execute that strategic decision of defending him before the Good question, the buddy. What do you think about that? I thought about it a lot, and I think it would be a big mistake to run twins uh, for both Senate races. I think you need a little bit. I think you need a, a little bit of diversity uh, between the two, whether it's male, whether it's gender, whether it's uh, uh, conservative, whether it's rural as opposed to uh suburban or urban i think we don't need at least least i don't think republicans need twins running for the two political twins running for the uh the two uh, seats let's talk about race number two for a couple minutes jim galloway uh because to the best of my knowledge i think i'm still right we've really now had two people two democrats who have actually said yes they are definitely going to run for Senate seat number two. I mean, they're not going to throw their hat in the ring uh, with uh, Kemp, probably, because we know he's going to pick a Republican. One, of course, is um, uh, Al Bartles, who I knew very little about until I got his news but, but release. He, but he wasn't, he, 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 he has run. He's going to run as an independent. Yes, and, and, and I in apologize. The past, he has run as a Republican. Yes, he's going to run as an independent. Thank you for correcting me. He's one, the only, I mean, I, I, look, he doesn't have a great chance to win. But it's fascinating that he's going into this thing uh, as a military veteran who says he is going to issue a formal apology for the way for American conduct in the Vietnam War. Yeah, he's, a, he's, a, he's an Air, Air Force vet of that era. And it's it's uh, it, it's 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 an odd issue simply because uh, uh, we ba baby boomers are kind of exiting the stage yeah. at this point. Yeah, yeah. I so, just thought it was fascinating that he's using that as his uh, entry point into right. the race. Right. But you've got you've got five hundred people who have applied, uh, or four. Martha Zoller and four hundred ninety nine other people. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, and but first, Martha, I, have you been told of what any process is whether you're going to be able to get an interview or is that is that is that what we should be looking for the next short list uh not yet okay. there hasn't been any contact made okay all right i think one of the reasons we are seeing a whole lot of republicans put their names in is because that we could be we could end up with a david gambrell situation when richard russell died uh uh, Jimmy Carter named his uh, I, I, David Gambrell, I think, was his campaign treasurer. That's correct. Yeah, as as, as uh, to replace him, and he became the incumbent. And then there was a special election, and Sam Nunn ousted him. Okay, I think no matter who, Jim, uh, Brian, may, may I correct you here? Mm -hmm. uh, that was a Democratic primary. Ah, okay. All and, right, okay. Uh, Sam Nunn came in second. Governor Vandiver came in third. Mm -hmm. uh, and that was only 1,200 votes in the two. And then Sam Nunn beat David Gambrell in the Democratic primary uh, and then okay. met Fletcher Thompson. That's right. The, okay. All uh, right. All right. Election. All right. Thanks for the correction. Uh, but I think I think you're seeing a lot of these names appear, Bill, because they are they are they, they are interested in this seat and may run no matter who Brian Kemp names. And 
one of the, if if they don't put their name in, then you know, then somebody's going to ask in 2020. Well, where were you then? Yeah, yeah. All right, let me go back to race number one for just a minute, and then I want to read a, a, a news bulletin that just came in. But but first, uh, Buddy Darden, uh, Joe Lieberman's son, Matt Lieberman, who's been living in Atlanta for about tw- uh, 15 years, I think, uh, threw his hat in the ring for seat number two. Um, it, he's, you know, it, his father is one of the best-known politicians in the country, I, I would guess, uh, but he has no credential credentials as a political force. And uh, he's got a long way to go to build name recognition. His campaign says, well, yes, that's why we're getting into this thing early, so we can go out there and build our name recognition. Is this the time when people are looking for someone a little different, or uh, as they did with President Trump, for that matter, or is that kind of a fool's errand? Well, I won't say it's a fool's errand. I've met met uh, Matt Lieberman. Yeah. He's a nice guy, and uh, I think he's made a success here in the Atlanta area, but I think his chances of uh, being elected are pretty much similar to mine, and I don't intend to, tend to run. However, I think I want you to notice that the list of people that sign up for seat number one, and I think once the field becomes clearer, and once we see what's going to happen, you might see some of those people move from number one over to number two. There's no legal reason why. So it Ted why Terry, you can't do for it. instance, yeah. Sarah Miko could decide right. to go over to right. the second race. You All can right. raise money, and under federal law, you can transfer from one federal race to another, as I understand it. And so, what they could do is you could you could all get bunched up, and then once they see who the governor appoints, then they could move over to the other race. All right, I've got to uh, to make a quick announcement. We we at the very top of the show, I said that we would try to talk about Lynn Westmoreland and. Uh, his gerrymandering statements that were captured on tape at a conservative gathering a while ago. Jim Galloway, let's defer that to Friday's show because you'll be back and you wrote that story. I'm sorry we're not going to get to it, folks. One last item for Kyle Hayes, Buddy Darden, Martha Zoller, and Jim Galloway, who've been with us today. The Hill just reported that members of the Senate Foreign Relations Committee have called for administration officials to testify before Congress about President Trump's decision to yank U.S. troops from northern Syria. And this is a joint request from the Democrat on the committee, the ranking, well, I don't know if he's ranking member or not, Chris Murphy and Mitt Romney. So a Republican and a Democrat have teamed up, Jim Galloway, and said, we want the administration before us to talk about this. And Mitt, Mitt Romney is the interesting name there. Exactly. exactly. I agree. Exactly. Yeah, and Martha. All right, I let's... think they'll cooperate with him like they're doing on the House side. <laughs> but when they but again, buddy, real quick, it is fascinating that they can't Republicans can't get on board even the slightest move toward uh, uh, investigating Trump's behavior on impeachment. And yet here's an issue that opens him up for some Republican dissension. Well, I think the impeachment they look at as a threat to their power as opposed to an issue in which they have a legitimate concern about the country. Buddy Darden, that's it. You got the last word on today's show. Um, We are completely out of time uh, on the Monday edition of Political Rewind. We will be back tomorrow at 2 o'clock. My thanks uh, to everybody for listening. And special thanks, Robert Jimison. Thank you for providing uh, uh, for us the sound of Nancy Pelosi in her meeting with the AJC on Friday. I'll see you all tomorrow at 2.